0: The title for the talk tonight is "Getting." I could have also called it Dependent Arising Light. That is to say, well, you know, Dependent Arising is perhaps the most fundamental teaching of the Buddha, that's the name that it has. Sometimes it's also called dependent origination or codependent arising or codependent origination. Um, and I want to, to transmit this basic teaching to you in a way that is uncomplicated, that's really basic, like in, in plain English, if you wish. And so, I'm going to strip it down to its most essential features. Uh, In particular, the essential feature of this teaching has to do with our unskillful use of the process of getting things. Now, consumer society, of course, getting, very often, understandably, refers to the purchasing of stuff, whether it's a, a sweater, a shirt, a cell phone, whatever. That's nothing new, of course, and I'm not going to start the critique of this process, although it's and can go down that road, too. But what I want to emphasize, and I'll spend a good deal of time on that, is that the process, in the process of getting whatever it is that we get, what really matters is that in that process we create the getter the one who gets. Or in the language of the teachings, we become. This is the basis of the Buddhist teaching. And going to the very essential feature of it. Namely, to repeat, we get stuff not for the sake of the stuff itself but in order to become the one who gets it. We can see this very clearly very obviously in situations of scarcity. Say there we are interested in two different objects let's say that we are equally interested in both if at some, some point one of the two objects becomes scarce our desire for it shoots up it skyrockets why? because the more difficult it is to get the stuff the more kudos for the getter The motto, well known motto, is I shop, therefore I am. <laughs> and the rarest the subject, the, the, the object, the more exalted exalted the I. Check it out next time you go shopping. You'll, you'll see that the mind goes, hey, yeah, that's hard to get. You want it. It's true, I mean, that in other social groups may be different I notice in certain age children all they want is to have the same thing that somebody else has sure I mean but whatever it is it all has to do with what it does to the getter not with the object of course getting is not limited to objects to shopping. I went to the dictionary and I counted the different meanings of getting. I counted over 60 meanings of getting. So let me just pick up a few, not the whole list. For instance we can get married We can get drunk. Obviously, by getting married, we become husband or wife. By getting drunk, we become a drunkard. We can get a trophy. We become the victor. We can get creamed. We become the vanquished. We can get a job, we become, say, a faculty member, a tenured faculty member. (laughs) An employee, whatever, depends what kind of job it is. We can get fired, we get unemployed, we become unemployed. We get an award, we become an awardee. Nobel Prize, become a Nobel laureate. Wow! We we can get turned down, we become a failure. We can get the flu, become sick. We can get well, we become healthy. So, get busy, We become productive, we get bored, we become a bore, we get angry, we become enraged, we get to know something, we become an expert, we get to know somebody, we become a buddy, a friend, whatever, and so on. Many more meanings all fit into this pattern. Our oldest sister was a, not sister, daughter, sorry, oldest daughter um, was very fond uh, some years ago, she doesn't do that anymore. She'd go and tell to various people including myself but mostly to her children, get a life! So <laughs> <You know. laughs> it's, it's so clear, you know. Get a life. It's a, you know. Be successful. Yeah, at, at times of course what we ha- what's important in it's not so much success, but failure. Sometimes we do focus on, on being a failure. It, it has some advantages, you know. It's a, it's a little more secure place when you're on top, <laughs> by God! <laughs> but um, the, the eye gets puffed up too, as a, as a... I mean, strengthened anyway, as a failure. And then, in all of this, in case there's any doubt, our culture is so happy to dispense certificates. Of course, there's a PhD certificate, you know, a diploma. I mean, some people frame them, put them in the wall, etc. But for any silly little thing, you get a certificate, you know, any achievement. Our uh, uh, grandchildren have lots of proofs of how good they are, you know, it's impressive. Uh, not only a uh, diploma after a PhD, you can get called Dr. Reisig, you know, by golly, Dr. me, wow. And the other. Just to mention one more token of of becoming, the wedding ring, you know, wedding ring is a proof that you have become a married person, that you are something that you were not before. One last thing I want to emphasize, to call attention to in this getting, is that for the process of getting, expectation, anticipation of getting something is very much uh, the prominent aspect of the getting. Even more important than the getting itself. I mean, sometimes just sitting there may happen to you tomorrow, the day after, and all you wish in the world is... (laughs) But, you know, as soon as the bell rings, that's it. It's not the bell ring, you know. It's just the anticipation of so many things. As soon as you get it, the eye invents something else to get, you know. Cell phone, the PhD. You got the PhD, and framed it, fine, now, need something else. Even getting healthy, you know. I mean, it seems to be so absolutely essential. Feel ill, I can't take it. You know, when am I going to get out of it? The moment you're healthy, forget it. it's weird until you understand that it's all centered on the I and building the I and getting the getter let me just uh, so as not to be too repetitive liven this up with a a few stories three stories and share with you This one is called the airport story. In fact, it was emailed to me by somebody who is not here because today is his birthday or something like that. Here's a story. So, slightly rewritten. A young lady was waiting for her flight in the boarding room of an airport. As she would have, as she would have to wait for many hours, she went to get a book and a package of cookies. She sat sat down and began to read. A man was sitting a couple of chairs away from her, reading a magazine. Between them, the packet package of cookies. When She got the first cookie, the man got one also. She felt irritated but said nothing. She thought, what a nerve! For each cookie she got, the man got one too. She was infuriated and only one cookie remained, the man divided it in half (laughs) leaving one half to her. That was too much. She was really angry now. She got all her things together and stormed out of the boarding room. Later as she sat in the plane and looked into her purse she found To her utter surprise, (laughs) her package of cookies was still there, (laughs) untouched and and, and unopened. Obviously, the guy had shared his cookies with her without getting angry or bitter, while she had been furious, thinking that she had to share her cookies with him. She felt so ashamed. So, you see, the whole story is nothing to do with the cookies, but to do with what we make out of the cookies. And she chose to make something that was not real. This is a completely different story, different level but also has to do with getting and it concerns me and I think I've shared with some people but hopefully it's not too repetitive for you I was doing a sabbatical at Caltech I was working at the biology department and the biology department has a little library looking references in the library and lo and behold I found this reference to an article on a topic I had been working for years with great passion and interest. My golly, I said I must go and look at the, the actual article. So I started walking from the biology department to the main library with the Journals were kept, that journal was kept, and it's a very near five, ten minutes walk. Caltech is a small campus. And halfway along, I realized I didn't give a hoot about that article. <laughs> you see, my, my passionate interest on the topic had to do with the fact that I was working on it. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> I turned around, went back to the biology department, and never looked up that article in my life. Now, uh, this little story is very important for me because it came as a shock, as a surprise. Totally unexpected. I thought I loved my work for its own sake. And something there, I didn't investigate it at the time, of course. I wasn't ready for that. But something eventually told me, hey, look, look what's going on here, really, you know. second story. They're not very connected. But the third story is somehow connected with my story, only quite different uh, slant. It concerns, a, I think, one of the most extraordinary scientists of this, of the last, last century, sorry, 20th century, a woman called Barbara McClintock. She was um, totally neglected from most of her life, until her work became so obvious that she uh, started getting all kinds of prizes. Everybody rushing to give her a prize before she got the Nobel Prize, which she also got. You know, so... To <laughs> rehabilitate themselves, the ones that gave the prizes, you know. <laughs> See, we appreciate Barbara, you know. But anyway. But, but this is not... Sorry. She She, she used to live in... She worked at Cold Spring Harbor in Long Island, and, um, not Cold Spring, Cold Spring Harbor, and uh, I lived nearby, and we were friends and we got together. And this is a story she told me, apropos of some spiritual explorations of mine at the time. when she was a student at Cornell she said she had to take a physics exam. And she, she loved the subject, the eventual discipline was biology, but she was very much into all of the sciences. And she was very well prepared. So she went to take the exam and um, they gave, you know, the exams. Uh, at least in my times, were in blue books. Right? You got a little. Do, do they still use blue books? Okay. A, a, a booklet with blue covers. That's all. And so she started writing and writing and. Boy, half the time she had answered everything, and she was very pleased. Until. closed the covers of the blue book and she realized that on the front of the blue book she had to write her name she could not remember her name (laughs) and she said to me you know I couldn't ask the person sitting next to me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <She did that. laughs> I don't know how she solved it but, but she was telling this story for a reason you know just to indicate how when you're really totally absorbed in what you're doing you can forget your name Michael can tell stories like that too but we'll skip that part for the time being So Of course, I'm not implying that we need to get to the extreme <laughs> extreme of forgetting our names. You know, this it just happened to her, that's. but but surely if Becoming the getter is what matters. It does get in the way of connecting with the truth. And it does, as the teachings say, generate a whole mass of suffering. A whole mass of suffering. The airport story is, is one example, of course many others. This is, of course, the clincher in the dependent arising teaching of the Buddha. Emphasizing the I becoming, emphasizing the becoming, brings about a whole mass of suffering. And I'm, I'm, I'm of other reasons, because the one who becomes is impermanent. What we get is impermanent but also the one who becomes impermanent. So it's hopeless. Before I explore the alternatives, because (laughs) I intend to explore the alternatives, let me just make a parenthesis to talk about the precepts, as you probably know, in retreats like this. It's a a good idea to remind everybody that we do take some precepts of behavior in the retreat. And so I thought it would be amusing to do that in the language of the getting, you know. So let me try it out. The precept number one, I could word it as do not get the bugs. That is, do not kill. I mean, what else have I gone to kill but bugs, right? I mean, hopefully that's (laughs) all that's possible. (laughs) Precept number two do not get what's not yours. Precept of not stealing. Precept number three that has to do with uh, speech, with speaking, do not get involved in conversations. Next precept, do not get involved in sexual activities quite clearly. Nothing wrong with speaking outside the retreat, nothing wrong with sex outside the retreat, simply during the retreat we don't do that. Uh, Precept number five, do not get intoxicated. That means no drinking, no drugs, nothing that's intoxicating. So, let me now go back to the main topic, namely the, what one can call the orgy of getting and see how we break loose from that, from this relentless getting of the getter. I really don't know any other way but practice. Could be this practice, of course, that's the one I do, or, or any other practice that explores the functioning of the mind. Practically, in doing something, not just in theory. I, myself, of course, am offering you now words. I'm talking, hopefully making sense. Mm, But in doing that all I want to do is point the way. The real work is for you to do. The way, out of all this suffering, is not through logic, it's through practice. Through us taking the time to look inside our minds and see into the currents of the mind and the deeper currents of the mind, however deep we are ready to go, and then redirect them appropriately, not becoming the pawns of these uh, conditioned patterns of behavior that lead us to getting the getter over and over again. Looking into this undercurrents in the mind and exploring the alternative. And the alternative is the dropping of this incessant chasing after this of after that. Chase of stuff, yes, and uh, after success. Even, even, what we figure to be the chase after success in the practice because we could easily take the model from getting the getter and, and sort of inject it into what we do here, you know. A truly successful practice, I mean in the real sense of the word, is one in which heart and mind opens to whatever comes. In which heart and mind are ready to welcome whatever it is just because that's the way it is. Surely, often enough it may be appropriate to change things. But before we try to change anything we have to fully Acknowledge this is what's happening now. Sometimes changing things uh, is a way of not looking at what's happening. We need to look at what happens. And then, and only then, can we look at things with freshness. Without the obsession of pretending that things are different from what they are. Let, let me share with you an anecdote which is not nothing very deep, something quite apparently trivial but it, it, it fits this. Some decades ago Raquel and me were in Thailand and we were very intrigued by what we were reading in our guidebook about a fruit called durian. Have any of you ever tasted a durian? Okay. Well, according to our guidebook the durian Tasted and smelled like something that would be inappropriate to spell out fully but start with SH. <laughs> 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 and yet, for people in Thailand, it was uh, absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> and in the corners of the streets of Bangkok, durian cellars it's a big thing with spiky surface and they cut a slice it has to be perfectly ripe otherwise it doesn't work and people bite and eat it right there in uh, In the best hotels, it's full of signs, no durians allowed here, you know. (laughs) In Singapore, the subway has signs saying, no, no, don't take durians into the subway. So, we (laughs) we were ready for it. (laughs) took a chance and we sat in front of each other and there were little chairs there the seller would provide chairs for people to munch on the durian bits and we got a slice and we (laughs) got in our mouth and look at each other (laughs) and it was heaven (laughs) for both of us (laughs) And, and that is a moment of freshness you see there was no possible anticipation none I mean the next time we try Durian that is a different story and, in fact, I tried very hard to get durian in New York City. It's impossible. It's impossible for a good reason. In fact, I did finally found a place in I think, Chinatown or somewhere where they sold durian, frozen durian. It cannot last. I mean, it doesn't last. doesn't keep. Taste is nothing. So, th- there were other attempts of getting the durian because we loved it. And, and, yeah, those fell into the pattern of the getter, you know. Could I now sort of uh, please myself again? But the first time, that's the freshness of mine. And, and that's symbolic, I think, for me, of what's so important about going into the experience of life with a fresh mind. So that's why I so much appreciate people, perhaps like the gentleman back there who hasn't sat before, and others perhaps too, um, because they come to taste the durian for the first time. It may not be so good. No tastes like the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Probably will, too, yeah. But it's a freshness of mind that matters. Is Let me see what life really offers. Not in anticipation, but in valuing the freshness itself. So, you know, getting more durian is out, totally. Now, delighting in the discovery of a mind that can transcend the getting and wanting and just stay open for life. And that, that in itself is such a real delight, you know. Instead of trying to get this and that, to bask in this openness to the whole world, to what life can bring us, and this openness this can get us out of the limitations of the character the getter that we have been impersonating for so much of our life so this is what we offer you here you offer yourself here enjoy it Let's sit for a few minutes now, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.